So as we approach Easter, one of the things we have been doing is we have been looking at the, uh, the prayers of the Son to the Father. And so as, as Jesus is approaching, as the Son is approaching the cross, we get these prayers by him. Now, there's a lot of times that Jesus goes off to pray and just says that he went off to a pray, went to a quiet place to pray, to pray, to pray. We're actually not privy to those prayers. And we can make some maybe some assumptions, but those prayers, although important, are not a part of what we would say is the canonized Bible. But then there are other times when we actually get to eavesdrop in on, on his prayer and we get to hear what is the son saying to the father. That's what I want to know. And interesting, as, as, as he gets closer to the cross, as Jesus gets closer to the cross, as the Son gets closer to the cross, we get more of those recorded prayers. And what are we in meetings? We've been looking at the last, last week, we're going to look at today, and then we're going to look at next week, is in three parts, is what's called the high priestly prayer out of John chapter 17. And in, in, in that, as we looked at last week, Jesus starts off that prayer. This is, by the way, Jesus' longest unbroken prayer recorded in the Bible. And this happens after he ate the Passover meal and before he goes to the garden. So this is before he go, right before he goes to the cross, hours. And he's praying. And as we looked at last week, one of the things he says, he goes, your hour, like the hour has come. He's talked a lot about this hour that is coming, this hour that's on its way. And then he says, the hour is here. And the hours he's referring to is to the cross. But he says it's the hour that your son would be glorified. And they've been talking about this idea that, that Jesus was glorified on the cross. That the Father, the Son were glorified on the cross. How can that be so? And I've made the argument that actually that God was more glorified on the cross than he was with the resurrection. That's crazy talk. The resurrection's the victory. The resurrection is Easter. That's the celebration. And maybe all of that is true. But I think actually he was more glorified at the, at the moment of the cross than he was at the moment of the resurrection. And the reason why that I see that is because wherever God's character is revealed, when that's revealed, he's glorified. God's character revealed, glorified. You see this in the Bible. Whenever his character is revealed, he's glorified. We see this with Moses. We see this with David. Character revealed, God glorified. And the more clearly his character is revealed, the more glorified he is. And so I think he's more glorified in the cross than in the resurrection because his character is more clearly seen in the cross than in the resurrection. In the cross we see his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, but we also see the judgment of God on sin. We see God's wrath. We see God's, God's hatred of sin. We see all of that in the cross. So last week as we looked at this prayer, he says, your hour has come for your son to be glorified, so glorify me that I may glorify you. And then as we're going to see this week, and then so he, the, the good majority of, of his prayer, though, is about two groups of people. So one group of people is like the disciples, and then within that whole group, which is those are the two groups of people, I guess. It's, it's the disciples that he has with him currently and the disciples that are to come. And so we're going to see this week as he's going to be praying for the disciples that are with him. These are the disciples with me. And then next week as we unpack the text, you'll see him transition. I pray not only for these people, but for all of the ones that come, which is you, which is me. That's us. 
And so this morning what we're going to see actually is Jesus giving an account. So the Son is going to give an account to the Father for what he did with his life. Now you may hear this from somebody. Somebody may say, one day you're going to have to give an account to the God. To which you may think, oh no. What kind of question is he going to ask? Someone may even try to like say, you know, one day God is going to hold you accountable and you're going to have to give an account for your life. You think to yourself, what do you say in that moment? And what kind of questions is God going to ask? I think he's going to ask a couple of questions. I think the first question I'll ask is, what did you do with my son? I sent my son to you. What did you do with him? Did you reject him? Did you receive him? Is he your Lord? Did you, did, was it his sacrifice that covered you? What did you do with my son? But then quite possibly the next question is, what are you going to do? What did you do with what I gave you? Now that's the question where we're like, oh no. Now if you're a Christian, you go, yeah, like, I, like with your son, like he's, he's my Lord, he's my Savior, his, his death atoned for my sins. So that's kind of like, if you're a Christian, then that's, a, that's like a yes, like I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm solid, I'm good. But the second question, what did, I, what did you do with what I gave you? That's the question where we're like, oh no. And maybe that's the question we're hoping, like if God stops us at the gate to ask us that question, we're hoping that maybe we come in with a busload of people. And somebody in front of us has like a better answer than us that just really Jesus gets caught up with. And we just kind of slip by like everyone's, you know, we'll let them talk. I don't, I'll, I'll, I'll tell him later. I'll tell him what I did later. But what do you say? I did this, I did that. And as I talk with people who think about living lives that are God-honoring, they go, how do I know if I'm living a faithful life? Interestingly enough is that typically we would say, well, I... I don't do this, I don't do that, and I pray a lot, I read my Bible a lot, you know, I, I, uh, I'm free of addiction, and, and uh, uh, I'm not greedy, I'm generous. We might have all of these lists of what did you do, but how do we know? And it's interesting that Jesus, the Son, is going to give an account to the Father this way. Very interesting, right? He doesn't do this after he's died. He does this before he dies. It's interesting because when we think about giving an account of our life, we think in the moment that we die, we'll have to give an account of our life. But what if we change that just a little bit? What if we're like, I'm going to give an account of my day. I'm going to give an account of my month. I'm going to give an account of my year. And say, God, here's what I did this last year. Not that he's shocked or surprised or didn't know, but this is what I did, God. I'm giving an account. I'm actually not going to wait till, till like you're in heaven and you ask me. I'm actually, I'll give it to you now. What's my account? Much like if like you told your kid, you go, you know what, I want you to go clean your room. Go clean your room. Told the kid, go clean your room. And they came back to you and they said, I clean my room. And you think to yourself, well, I don't want to go check it because I don't have time right now. I don't want to go all the way up there, but I just want to make sure that your idea of clean and my idea of clean are the same idea. And so you might even say something, so what did you do? I put the dirty clothes in, in the hamper. Good, good, good. Right step, right direction. What else did you do? Oh, I, I put the clean clothes, uh, put them away, hung them up, and put them in the, the, uh, the drawers. Good. What else did you do? Threw away the papers. Oh, nice. Cleaned up the desk. Nice. 
a vacuum, good, made the bed, good. And so you start to say, okay, you were, it does sound like you have a clean room. So what they're doing is they're giving you an account. And with that account, not just that they did it, but then what they did with it. And Jesus is going to give us that sort of account this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 17. We're going to start this morning in verse 6. This is Jesus, the Son, praying to the Father. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I come from you, and they have believed that you sent me, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And Jesus says, really interesting. You gave me people, and you gave me a word. And what I did was I just took the word that you gave me, and I gave it to the people that you gave me. And I think really this is like Jesus' really basic definition of what ministry is. I just took the word that you gave me, and then I gave it to the people that you gave me. Which is interesting because I think a lot of times we think about Jesus generating things, right? He generated crowds. People came and they heard him. He fed the 5,000. He walked on the water. He healed people. He brought Lazarus up from the dead, and people gathered. And then when they gathered, then he, he spoke words to them. Now, that's a beautiful picture of ministry, right? But that's not the picture of ministry that Jesus gives us. He goes, yep, you gave me words to speak. You gave me people to speak. I didn't generate anything. Sure, people came. Sure, people showed up. But I didn't, I didn't generate anything. You just gave me those people, and then all I did was give them the word that you gave me. And so when we think about this, and you go, like, are you faithful with what God has entrusted with you? And he goes, yeah, I, I just gave the words that you gave me to the people that you gave me. It's interesting because I think if, if, if God were to come to you or to me, and if we were Jesus in that way, God says, what did you do with what I gave you? I think we might start to list off the big things. Oh, Jesus, there was this, as I God the Father, there was this time where there was 15,000 people or so, and they had nothing to eat. And then I provided manna, provided food for them. There was this other time where the disciples... They're on the water. The, the storm started crashing in. They were afraid. I walked to them on the water. I got in the boat with them. There was this other time, Father, when, when Lazarus, he had died, and, and everybody was weeping because of the grief. Then I came along, Father, and I, I raised Lazarus from the dead. That's what I would say. I would have this long laundry list of these, these exceptional, like, miraculous works. And because of that, people showed up. And what Jesus says is, nope. Took the words you gave me, 
and I just gave it to the people that you gave me. Which is interesting because when you see Jesus' ministry, did you know there's this ebb and flow of ministry for Jesus? We think it's like it starts off really small and then it just kind of like goes up and 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 up. But that's not the story. You know, there's this place in John, actually John chapter 6, where Jesus is taking the words that God has given him, but they're difficult words, and he gives it to the people that he gave him, and it's difficult for them to hear. Jesus says in John 6, he says, he goes, uh, basically, if you, if you belong to me, you're going to have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And that said that, that some of them were like, that's a really hard teaching. And it says, you know what that happened in that moment? That lots of people left. This is crazy talk. I mean, it is crazy talk. But this is crazy talk. We can't get on board with this. And so they, they just left. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says to them, are you going to leave me too? You know what Peter says? Peter says, to where would we go? Which I love that response, right? I think if I'm Jesus, what I want from Peter is like, you know, are you going to leave me too? Never, Jesus, because, because I love you so much. You're awesome, and, and what you are doing is just amazing. But Peter's response is like, I'm going to paraphrase here, but like, yeah, I thought about it. I thought about it, but then I thought, where am I going to go? Like, where else am I going to go? Because you alone have the words of truth. I thought I could go here. I'm like, no. I could go here. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. You alone have the words of truth. And so we see this amazing thing. Jesus' ministry grows. It gets smaller. It grows. It gets smaller. But yet he is consistent. Why? Because his mission doesn't change. His ministry doesn't change. He still knows that he's going to the cross. And as he goes to the cross, he goes, I just take the word that you gave me, and I gave it to the people that you gave me. That's ministry. Sometimes that was through a healing. Sometimes that was through feeding them. But he's like, I just gave them the word that you gave me. I didn't generate anything. Sometimes people think I'm preaching. They go, like, where do you get your stuff from? I'm like, I don't know. I, seriously, I just take the words that God has given us, and I try to then give it to the people that he's entrusted to us as a community. That's it. And so it's enough. You may have heard there's this famous quote in Christianity that, that makes its way around circles. But the quote is to preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary or when necessary, depending on how what you see, uh, use words. Preach the gospel at all times. And if and when necessary, use words. Uh, typically attri- attributed to, uh, to St. Francis of Assisi. And uh, which is probably not accurate because we have nothing that, that says that he says that or any that his early kind of followers had said that. So it just kind of gets attributed to him, I think, wrong, uh, wrongfully so. Maybe you've heard that. And, and part of me agrees with that statement, but then a large part of me completely disagrees with that statement. Use the gospel, preach the gospel at all times, and, and when necessary, if necessary, use words. Because the idea is what it's saying is that your actions matter the most. Or this idea, maybe to paraphrase it another way, is that you're the only Bible that some people will read. So they'll see you, they know that you, you, you associate yourself with, with, with God, and they'll go, you're the only Bible they'll ever read. And so actions matter, to which I, that's the part I agree with. Absolutely actions matter. 
What you do and how you model God matters. 100% agree with that statement. But where I completely disagree with the quote is that words are secondary. And so if the actions aren't enough, then we will supplement that with words. Now, how can I say that? Because that's what Jesus said. He doesn't say, I showed them, I walked on the water, I fed the 5,000, I raised people from the dead, and when that didn't work, I gave them your word. He says, no. I, I preached the gospel at all times, and it was always necessary to use words. The words, as I would say, matter. And so the reason why I say that is because there is this idea, unfortunately, within Christianity that often says, I don't need to tell them about Jesus. I will just show them Jesus. So we're just like, oh, here, but here, here, here's the hard part about that, right? Is that you can love your neighbor. You can be forgiving. You can model generosity. But that, like, unless words are used, they're probably never going to make the, the, the jump to, and by the way, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. The words actually matter. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I gave them your word. You entrusted me with people. You entrusted me with a word. And we even see her Jesus say this at other times too. Like, I, didn't, I don't say anything on my own. I don't do anything on my own. Just what the Father gives me. And then he has this weird prayer where he says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for the disciples. Now, this is hard because we're all like, Jesus loves the world, right? And then in his closing hours, he goes, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for my disciples. So Jesus doesn't love the world? He goes, no, of course he loves the world. We know that. We see that in other places, that Jesus is a king for the world. He prays for the world. It's just here, specifically when he prays this prayer, he goes, this is a prayer about my disciples, the people who follow me and who align themselves with me. And interestingly enough, so Jesus says that he's accountable with what he's done. You gave me words, you gave me people, and I gave those words to the people that you gave me. But with the people, what it says is that they, is that they say that they were responsible for with receiving it, knowing it, and believing it. And so this beautiful thing, Jesus was like, I was responsible to them, but they had a part to play too. They received it, they believed it, they acted upon it. And so you've given me these people, and I've given them the word. He continues in verse 10 as the prayer goes on. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you had given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He's referring to the twelve, then he's referring to one of which is Judas. He goes, I kept, I kept, all, I kept them, except where there, there was Judas. Uh, we lost him, but that was, that was a fulfillment of prophecy. And so he says all of this. He goes, all, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. And all that you have is mine. 
It's interesting because we talk about the sacrifice of Christ on, on the cross. And we go, so his sacrifice, the sacrifice of his death, uh, is what atones for us. But in this weird way, people think like, like, like so Jesus sacrificed, and go, how do you do that? How do you come to a place, or maybe you even think this yourself, how do you come to a place where, where you're sacrificing everything for God? And how can Jesus in these moments, even though it's so hard for him and brutal for him, how can he do it so willingly? And go easy, because actually I think that's, that's, that's verse 10. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. In other words, like it's, it's hard for it to be sacrificed if it's not actually mine to begin with. You know, there's a, there's a connection between the pain of sacrifice and what you perceive to be the pain of sacrifice and your perception of ownership. You see, the more we think we own it, the harder the sacrifice it perceivably is, right? And so you, maybe you think, you think like to yourself, God's like, hey, I want, you to, I want you to invest more of your time into my people. And you go, but I'm already strapped for time. I'm already, it's, it's so difficult. You go, that, that, that which is the pain of sacrifice. That, 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 uh, that, that pain of whatever that is, that, that's, that's the connection between the pain of sacrifice and, and your, your perceived ownership. The reason why you think it's sacrificing so much because you think it's your time. Or God may even say something like, I want you to, I want you to, to be more generous with your money. Like, ah, but there's so many things out there. And really the reason why Jesus can give us, because he goes, it's, it's, it wasn't mine to begin with. Like you gave it to me. And now all I'm doing is giving it back to you. And if that is actually the way that you're looking at it, then there, there's never really a lot of sacrifice. And you think about, have you ever borrowed something from a friend? Or maybe a friend was moving for a little while. They said, you know, I'm moving just for about a, you know, six months. And so I don't have space for this. And so can you keep it for a little while? And you think to yourself, yeah, I will, because I could use that in my house. I've been looking for one, and then you use it, and it's just as fantastic as you thought it would be. And then one day they call you up. They say, hey, I was, I was thinking if I, could, if I could swing by and, and pick it up again. To which you'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah come get it. But you know, but, but we, that's not, like, that, may be, that may make your life more difficult, but you would not perceive that as a sacrifice. Why? Because it wasn't yours. You're just giving it back. It's going back to its, its rightful owner. And so Jesus says, all that I have is yours. All that you have is mine. And, and I, was, I, was, I, was, I will be glorified in them. And then notice how he talks about this. You keep them. I kept them. You gave them to me. I gave them your word. I kept them in your name, in your word. Now I'm giving them back to you. Would you keep them now? Would you keep them in your name? Would you keep them in your word? And may they have unity in your name. There's this big thing now within churches, right? We just want to be unified. And go, Yes, we want to be unified. But how we unified matters a lot. We don't want to be a church that just unifies in the good of the community. We don't want to be a church that just unifies in service. 
We want to be a church that unifies because we belong to the Lord. That that's our ultimate thing. That's our ultimate unifier. And this is what he says. Keep them. Keep them unified in your name. Verse 13. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and your world has hated them, because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out, uh, yeah, take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so he says, I speak these things. I speak these things. They belong to you. I belong to you. They belong to me. I'm in them. They are in me. They are going to be glorified. You'll be glorified. I speak all of these things that my joy may be fulfilled in them. In other words, that they would have joy. There is coming a moment. This is what Jesus knows. There is coming a moment when I go to the cross, they're going to feel abandoned. They're going to be afraid. They're going to be ashamed because they're going to abandon me. They're going to be a loss because they've spent this whole time following me. And in all of that, I speak these things in this moment. That although grief and pain and shame is all on its way, I want them to experience, as he says here, the joy. And it's interesting, as he says, I give them my word, and the world has hated them. May my joy in them be fulfilled. As I go to the cross, they grieve, they scatter. My word is in them. But as my word is in them, the world has hated them. Now this is, this is troubling at best. Because what we would want is that what we'd like it to hear is goes, and I have given them my word and the world was like, yes, yes. I gave them my word. Oh, how, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings the good news. Jesus says, I give them my word. I've given them my word and they're going to be rejected. Just like I'm going to be rejected. Why? Because they don't belong to the world. It's interesting now because I find so many of us now, right now, when we, when we, speak, when we speak the word of God and we are met with unkind things, that we're surprised. Do you know, we're, we're coming off this time in history, maybe a blip on the map, in which the word of God had great favor great favor in culture. But as that changes and as we go back to our regularly scheduled program, is that the word of God is rejected and we go. And we're shocked. You know, there's a lot of things we could be, right? We could be saddened. We could be frustrated, at times angry. But we don't get to be shocked. Why? Because this is exactly what Jesus said. He goes, you have my word, and because you have my word, you're going to be rejected. And by the way, he's talking to these disciples that are going to be, it's going to be far worse things. I think about the days in which maybe we will be in heaven, and we will be sitting around having a powwow with the other great saints of history. And we're taught this, this topic of like, 
being rejected by the world because of the word of God comes up and we all start to share and it comes my time, it becomes your time. And they say, tell your story. And you say, well, there's this time when my friend came to me and asked for some advice. And the things that were going on in their life wasn't very great. And so then I, I shared with them what you said in your word. And then they got all upset. They got all angry. They rejected me. And they said the worst things. And I thought they were my friend. To which the saints would go, no. You go, yes. What happened then? Did they, did they saw you in two? Did they burn you at the stake? Did they arrest you? Did they beat you? Did they torture you? N- no. They unfriended me. <laughs> and that was pretty clear. Oh, you know, we think when the world's going to hate you because of my word, we think like, oh, they're going to they're going to say mean things, which is true. But when he's praying for these disciples, it's going to be a lot more than just mean things were said. He says when they're going to hate them, they're going to kill them. They're going to torture them. They're going to burn them because they have aligned themselves with me because of my word. To which we would think, to which we would think, then you would go, then, then take them with you. That that would be the prayer. If you know that's the story, then the prayer f- from Jesus, from the Son to the Father, is like, so, so bring them with me. If they're going to be rejected, then just bring them with me. But that's not the prayer. What's the prayer? I pray that you leave them here. Pray that you leave them here. I mean, Jesus is thinking about not only his own suffering, but he's thinking about all the suffering that's going to come to his disciples, the scattering, the grief, all of this. And his prayer is, I want you to leave them here. This is troubling at best for, for us, right? That God, a God who knows that's coming up and says, yeah, And my prayer is that you leave them. It's interesting because as our our world, as our country, as our state, as our city, whatever you want to do, school, whatever, as it just moves continually into what people go, we're just headed to crazy town. And the train seems to be picking up speed. I hear talks of people going, I just want to get out of here. I want to move. Oh, I, I want to I leave this city, this state, this country, even this world. Like, I just want to like, go to heaven. I go, hey, I want to go to heaven too. And, and, and there, there are right reasons to move. But what I hear a lot of people going, it, it's getting so uncomfortable. I don't want to be this uncomfortable anymore, so I want to bounce out. To which I would say Jesus actually says, no, you stay there. Why? Because I have created you for this place, for this time for this purpose, I'm leaving you here. Why? Because I've created you for this place, this time, this purpose. And so stay. 
And so then, but what he does say, and I love this, I want you to keep them here. But I also want you to keep them in your name. I want you to keep them in their your care. And I want you to keep them from the evil one. So it's not just about a stay and abandonment. It's like, no, I want, you, I want you to keep them in all sorts of places, Father. I want you to keep them in this world, but I want you to keep them from the evil one. And I want you to keep them in, their, in your name. And I want you to keep them together, unified. I want you to keep, 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 keep. It's going to be pain and suffering, but I want you to keep and protect. Then in verse 17, he says, sanctify them in your truth. I'm sorry, in the truth of your word. Sorry, let me read that again. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so now I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Actually, the way that that literally reads is that that last part is that, uh, and for their sake, I sanctify myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. It's the same word in Greek. And so I, I, I sanctify myself that they may be sanctified in truth. Now, you may sometimes hear me use the word sanctification or sanctified. And typically what I'm referring to in that, in like the Christian world, is this idea that you're becoming more and more like Jesus. Salvation happens in a moment, but sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, happens over time. Here, which is probably why they use consecrate, but I don't know why they use the same word twice. It should be, be easier, but consecrate this idea that you're you're being set apart or, or, or set aside yeah set aside for uh service to god so you would consecrate something which means we're going to set this aside for service to god and what jesus says is he says i sanctify myself i set myself apart for the work of god so that they would have the possibility of setting themselves aside for the work of god It's interesting because so often we look at Jesus on the cross and we think to ourselves, that's a model for us. And I go, that is a model for us. That the way that Jesus lived his life, even unto death, glory to the Father. We go, that's true. But the thing about the cross is it's so much more than just a model. Unfortunately, people can look at the cross and go, look at what Jesus did. And then they come up with the conclusion, we should do the same, which is kind of true. And then they ask the questions like, and so in what ways and what crosses is God asking you to bear and to pick up? To which I would say, well, that's a, I mean, it's a good question, but Jesus did not just give us a model on the cross. He did something for us that we could not do for ourselves on the cross. In other words, he, his being set aside for the service of God the cross, is what enables us to be set aside for the service of God. Not only is it a model for us, but it what empowers us as well. He says, I, want, I sanctify myself that they may be sanctified. And then this idea, he gives, that I, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And what was the ministry the cross is the the cross is the reason why jesus came but how did he send him well he tells us that i took the words you gave me and i gave them to the people you gave me and so just as you sent me in now so send 
so I send them. As you think about your own ministry, think about the ministry of a church, really simply put, at some level, just simply put, taking the word that God has given us and giving it to the people God has given us. And then what God does with that, that's his business. You ever read the prophet Jeremiah? Jeremiah was a, was a prophet who was speaking on behalf of God to the people of Israel before they went to the Babylonian exile. So God said, you keep messing up with the land and you're going to lose the land. You're going to lose the land. You're going to lose the land. Finally, God sends Jeremiah to say, Jeremiah, go tell them they're going to lose the land now. And so God, so Jeremiah comes in and his message is basically one of which, but basic, the basic message is we're losing our country. And as you might expect, not a popular message. We're losing the land, guys. I'm the prophet of the Lord. So he takes the word of God, and God says, I want you to take this word to these people. He takes this word to these people, and they go, we hate you. Get out of here. We are going to arrest you. We are going to beat you. Jeremiah confesses this place in ministry. I'm going to paraphrase it now, but it's, it's a cry out to God. And what he says to God is very interesting. He says, God, I, I've been tricked, and I have allowed myself to be tricked. I took your message, and I took it to the people, and they hated me for it. Good friends of mine turned their backs on me, beat me. And so I thought, like, if this is all that life is, I, I take God's word, to the, I take his word that he's given me to the people that he's given me, and this is the result paraphrasing now by the way then I'm not going to do that if the more that I speak God's word the more pain comes on me solve that problem and so then Jeremiah says so then I went to this other time where I was like I'm not going to say anything because if all if, if I keep on saying these things to these people it just increases my pain and their pain too because I'll just stop saying things I'll stop saying the word that you have given me do you know what Jeremiah says at that point happens? He goes, the word of God was like a fire in my bones. It consumed me from the inside out. In other words, I got a lot of pain when I took his word to his people. It resulted in a lot of pain. But I'll tell you what, that was less pain than when I refused to take the word that he had given me to his people. Because this was a pain that I got from, from people but when I refused to speak, it was a pain that was, was internal, and it was a pain from God. And so I choose the other. And so God has entrusted with you, whether children or coworkers or parents or siblings, neighbors, people in this, this church family, your own family, God has entrusted people with you. And what he's asking you to do is to take his word to his people. His word to his people. He's given you the words. He's given you the people. And if we want to be faithful 
followers of Jesus, that's what we do. Uh, it, sometimes I go, it, is it that simple? It really, I mean, it's it can be complicated, but it really is that simple. So Jesus seems to be saying, I just, I just took the word that you gave me to the people that you gave me. And from the time frame I was here, I kept them in it. And now I give them back to you to keep them. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is powerful. We thank you that your word can keep us. We pray that we would not value comfort in this world over obedience to you. God, I know that everyone in this room, that you have entrusted with us people. I know for everyone in this room, you've entrusted us with a message. I pray that we would take your words, your words of redemption, your words of reconciliation, of forgiveness, but also words of judgment and judge words of, of brokenness and sin, that we would take your gospel of how you redeemed Jesus through the cross, we would take that to the world, to those you've entrusted us with, we thank you that the disciples were faithful to this up into death. We thank you that you were faithful to this till the moment of death. And pray we, for us, whether that be today or, or years from now, may we be faithful in similar ways. That we would take your word that you have given us to the people that you've entrusted with us. And when we give an account when we give an account of the things and the days that you've given us here in this world, that we will be able to say that we have taken the words that you gave us and we imparted them on the people that you gave us. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.